I love it. Another layer. Bring on the onion. I love it. So I understand you've been watching some other boys, Adam. Some, some other boys? You love the boys. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 3. My name is Adam Hemming and I'm here with my good friend, Neil Shepek. People are not all good, Adam. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you. <laughs> Great stuff. There we go. Everyone can have your quotes coming at us. What did you think? Oh, actually, I've got a question for you first, Neil. Did you know that Obi-Wan also trained Luke Skywalker in etiquette? He had terrible table manners, so he told him to use the forks. Oh, Adam. <laughs> I know you're a dad. Dad jokes. So That's you... a Simpsons joke. Use the forks, or use the forkly. That's a Simpsons joke. That's like, so old. Yeah, I'm sorry. I couldn't. I couldn't resist <laughs> it. Just, uh... Very good. What did you think of episode three? You asked for more Darth Vader. You got some. Yeah, I did. And to be honest, I wasn't really satiated. I wasn't really happy with what I was given. But I've been thinking about it. I've watched it twice now, and. I think the first time I was really disappointed because I didn't get some huge... Well, we got some action, but obviously Vader and Kenobi can't have a massive battle because that happens later. I was really happy to see Vader. And there's also other characters being teased, which we'll come on to. But no, I enjoyed the episode. I'm loving the development of Leia's character or Leia's character. So I was a bit disappointed, but I still enjoyed the episode. I really enjoyed this. I thought there was some, again, more great Star Wars-ness. And Indira Varma, I always rated as an actor. So great to see her in, in the Star Wars universe. It was a nice twist from the trailer where we expect her to be an Imperial officer to finding out that actually she's on the good side. And where do we know her from, Adam? All sorts in Derivama, but Game of Thrones, obviously, was, is one of the big ones where she performed alongside Pedro Pascal, our Mandalorian. So, yeah, she's got some good links in the old Star Wars universe. I thought her performance was great. I do have a few narrative questions there, but, yeah, I thought she was brilliant and a fantastic addition to the Star Wars universe. Let's just start from the very, very top. You know my obsession with opening credits. Uh, well, it happens very quickly, this one. But once the sand settles on the word Obi-Wan Kenobi, I spotted that the eye is a lightsaber. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't spot that. I'm going to look back. Do you think that was just this episode or have you looked back and it's all of the episodes? I, I haven't looked back, but it happens so quickly because the sand kind of comes across and you get the word Obi-Wan Kenobi and then it's straight into the episode. So it's really, really quick. But yeah, I just thought that was a really lovely touch. Well spotted. Yeah, that's awesome. So we open with Obi-Wan trying to commune with Kegon Jin, which he's failing to do. Kegon's not appearing to him. Well, this opens up the amount of characters that are being set up in this episode. There's at least three. So Kegon, yeah, if we can have this conversation. So I wonder whether Liam Neeson is going to appear at some point. I feel like I'm being teased with that possibility. But there was two other characters. One is Quinlan, 
who, uh, well, Quinlan Voss, who is a Jedi that has been mentioned before. He was a very kind of minor Jedi in the prequels, but he's been in quite a lot of the um, comics, etc. Obi-Wan, when he's in the, well, what was supposed to be a safe space, says Quinlan was here. So I think he's going to come. And there's an actor whose name I didn't write down, but there's an actor who has got a question mark on his, certainly his Wikipedia appearance. We know he's going to be in the show, but we don't know who's going to play. And he'll probably be amazing as Quinlan. And then also there was like a mini monologue with Obi-Wan and Leia where he talks about he was taken away from his parents when he was really young, but he seems to remember a brother. I mean, there's so much being set up there for characters that potentially can fit into this narrative. And to be honest, because I was slightly disappointed with the amount of Vader action, I wanted something like Rogue One, where Vader just came in and slaughtered. I wanted something like that. But to be honest, these characters that are being teased, that does make me want to watch it more and more. Yeah, no, I'll just pick up on a few of those. So I definitely agree. I'm expecting Liam Neeson to appear in ghost form. Just the fact that Obi-Wan is attempting to commune with him already a few times and is going through such an emotional turmoil. He needs the guidance of his, his Jedi Master. So I'm predicting maybe episode six is when we'll see Kegon Jin popping up. And yeah, Quinlan Voss, not a character I know very much about, I had to do a little bit of digging, but a Jedi Master who had the ability to see the history of objects. Uh, yeah, he could touch objects and find out basically, yeah, what, what circumstances they had encountered. Kind of almost the memories of the objects. But he's helping younglings, helping young Jedis to escape and, and stay safe is what he's doing. So yeah, expect that we'll see him at some point, some somewhere, whether in this series or another. But I think this was also confirmation the first confirmation that we've had that he's still alive following Order 66. I don't think that's ever happened before in a Star Wars entity. I might be wrong about that. Don't at me. And then, yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi's brother. Again, I don't know whether there's ever been mention of this before, whether this is a brand new revelation. Definitely opening up some potential future storyline avenues with that. No, I don't think we've ever heard anything within the whole canon. I've gone through Clone Wars and Rebels and all of that. I've never heard of everyone talking about family. So I think this is a seed that's being planted. Let's get back to these opening scenes of the episode then. So Obi-Wan's getting these memories of people. He's hearing things from people like Reva, from Yoda, from Anakin, from Qui-Gon. And it's all being intercut with Darth Vader being assembled with the various bits of his outfit being put on. And it all ends with Obi-Wan saying, he's coming, Master. So we're being trailed at the very beginning of the episode that there's going to be some meeting of these two characters again. We then cut immediately to Darth Vader, and it turns out he lives in Mordor. <laughs> oh, what's the name of the real place? It begins with an M as well, and that's yeah. why I can't remember it. I, I think it's Mustafar. Which yeah, yeah, Mustafar. Which is quite a sort of a dark twist that he's kind of built his castle on on Mustafar, but it did feel very Mordorish. Did definitely did. It just needed a big eye at the top of his castle. I was really excited. I, you know, I I wanted to see more Vader, and the initial Vader 
was very satisfying. And I liked the conversation with the third sister and setting up that kind of power struggle between her and Frisbee Head. I don't know if he's got a name. <laughs> the guy with a big, a big round fifth, thing on his head. I think we know him as the fifth brother, but I don't know that he's got. Okay. I don't know if we've learned his name yet. For now, he's Frisbee Head for me. I do think. What is the point of Hayden Christensen? Is he just a David Prowse? Is he just literally wearing the costume? Because whenever you see him in the back to tank, he's obviously hugely made up and he, he looks like he's been in water for far too long and very wrinkled. And then he's in a costume and James L. Jones does the voice, which is perfect. I love that. But what is the point of Hayden Christensen in this? I think it's a really good question and one that people have been asking since the prequels came out. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Hayden. I'm really sorry, Hayden. I don't mean that. I think you did a, a a sterling job with a with a difficult script. I don't know. I don't know. I hope hopefully we're going to see more of him, and it's not just been a kind of weird, uh, as you say, David Prowse nod to him him being there. Maybe we'll get to see a bit more of Hayden in the future episodes. But just picking up on what you're saying about the fifth brother and the and Reva, the third sister, the second sister, whatever number sister she is, <laughs> she's blaming Obi Wan for the Grand Inquisitor's death, but Vader doesn't really care. And he offers her the position of Grand Inquisitor as her reward slash incentive. I mean, his staff motivational skills, Vader, are probably quite effective, if not necessarily very encouraging. And the fifth brother doesn't want to use the probes. Well, neither of the other Inquisitors are interested in using probes. But Reaver's insistent that they get the probes out to find Obi-Wan. Even though he says, I'm the one he should be the Grand Inquisitor. He, he does actually go to the probes and follow Reaver's order, I guess. Yeah, because it was the right call, I think, ultimately. Yeah. That power play between the two of them, I think, is going to continue, I'm sure, throughout the next few episodes and gives Reaver a little bit to work with here. The next note I've made is what fantastic visuals of landscapes there is in this. I mean, literally... The locations that they've been shooting at are just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But that brings me to who does Obi-Wan see in the desert? And do you think that was real? So this is on Mapuzo, which is the, the mining system. I think he saw a vision of Anakin in the desert. That's what I thought it was. And I think it's a symptom of the shock and trauma that he's experiencing. He's definitely going through some sort of difficult times. And again, I think Ewan McGregor's playing this really brilliantly. They talk about well, they talk about what the force feels like on the way to Mapuzo and, and he says safety. And the fact that he's not really been able to use the force because he's hiding is obviously part and parcel of that thing. And then adding on top of that, the fact that he's just learned out that Anakin's alive. I really loved the way he described it to Leia, that it's like when you're in the dark and you turn the light on. I thought that was such a simple but beautiful way of describing, I guess, that feeling. And Obi-Wan fixes Lola on the way, Leia's robot which is good. They, they have a conversation about lying people and the Empire and not, not everyone being good and not trusting people, which Leah completely ignores when she flags down this passing vehicle. Yeah, just not listening at all to Obi-Wan. What I loved about that is that she's an absolute force 
And we know that, sorry, no pun on force, but she's so strong and she is throughout the canon. And I'm just loving how they are filling us in on her childhood and how she's become so strong. With Tala, we'll come to Tala. She clearly takes some inspiration from Tala and she clearly has trust and inspiration from Obi-Wan and that's what we're seeing. And I'm loving that. I'm, I'm actually really loving what they're filling in because, yeah, they're filling in Obi-Wan's time and I'm also hoping, although there's been no teaser this yet, some Darth Maul. But the relationship with Leah, also the growing up and childhood of Leah, and also what potentially they're going to be developing with Vader or with Anakin. I love the fact that he said, don't speak. <laughs> what, I'm not allowed to speak or can't speak? No, just don't speak. <laughs> and then she just speaks. <laughs> and she, she sorts it all out. She solves the problem they're in. YouTube threw up a Carrie Fisher video for me. I look back on her whole career and they talked about Leia a lot in that video and how she was quite revolutionary at a time because, you know, this was a strong female character in a sci-fi show who knew her own mind, who was sarcastic, who held her own and was a leader and was strong. And I think that this young Leia, I know there's been some criticism in some from some fans, but I, I personally think the actor's great and I think the character's great and I'm enjoying getting that early viewing of, of Leia. I completely agree. I think she's the new Grogu. <laughs> so we get this Freck. We meet Freck, who's an alien on Mapuzo, voiced by Zach Braff of Scrubs fame. Uh, yeah, and he seems friendly enough, Freck. He's pro-Empire. Stops to pick up some stormtroopers, um, but later we find out that he's turning them over, basically, at the checkpoint. So, again, Obi-Wan was right not to trust him. Well, he was saving his own skin, because you get to a checkpoint like that, you either try and help them, and then they're found to be uh, undesirables, and then you get fucked over, or you say to them, mm, I'm not sure, and then you save your own back. On the way, we get this chat about Stormtroopers hunting for a Jedi. Everyone and Leia are passing themselves off as Luma and Auden, farmers from Tall. Uh, but Obi-Wan slips up and calls her Leia and then covers it by saying that he sees her mother in her face. I mean, that was beautiful and, and so cleverly done because obviously he was quick thinking, but also he obviously remembers Padme and it meant Leia realised that Obi-Wan knew her mum. Her real mum. And so much so that she suspects that Obi-Wan might be her real father. And he says he wishes he was, but he's not. Which is all really, really sweet. Anyway, we get to the checkpoint and Frex turn them over. The assault droid turns up. Obi-Wan deftly takes out uh, a load of stormtroopers. One of them gets chopped in half by the energy fence, which I thought was really, really great. Love yeah. that. And then three more stormtroopers turn up with Indira Varma in an Imperial officer's outfit. <laughs> right okay so i'm still slightly confused about that moment she said she was coming to meet him at the point where nobody turned up and then they got the lift why is she turning up with three stormtroopers that she's then gonna kill surely there's some paperwork involved in that i mean there's three stormtroopers that have been killed yeah, I wonder whether she was going, it was the only way she could then get there. I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But yeah, she was supposed to be at the checkpoint. For some reason, she couldn't get there. 
Then she arrives with three stormtroopers, shoots them all in the back, and it turns out that she is Tala. I, I don't know whether it's revealed that she's a Jedi, but she's certainly a Jedi sympathizer, and she's looking after this safe house where Jedi's come. We learn that there is a chain of these safe houses, and they call it the Path, and it leads to a place called Jabim, the route that they're going to send Obi-Wan and Leia down. But they need a bit of time before they can get them off planet. There's a pilot that they're going to meet, but they've got to wait until they can do that. We also meet Ned B, uh, who's a droid loader um, that hasn't been programmed to be able to speak. So he's he's got this kind of iron giant feel to him. He's sort of like a big lumbering yellow robot, a little bit bumblebee, a little bit iron giant. I yeah. loved him. There's something about him, the quality of that, that I really enjoyed. Well, we, we, we had loads of lovable droids in Star Wars. <laughs> That's what they're really good at. Some stormtroopers show up. Tala steps up the timeline, and this is where all the Vader action comes in. He's using some extreme cruelty to lure Obi-Wan out with these villagers. Obi-Wan sends Tala and Leia off and promises to draw them away. But he genuinely, I think, Obi-Wan looks terrified of Vader. Well, I don't think he's quite processed that Vader, well, that Anakin's still alive. Also, I, d- I don't think he's seen Anakin in Vader form because it's a really intimidating visual. I don't think he's seen that until now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we've known Darth Vader for so long. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, we've seen him so many times. But I remember as a kid that first time seeing Darth Vader and it being like, oh, scary man. If that is the first time that he's seen, I assume the last time he saw him was on Mustafar when he chopped him up. That must be quite intimidating. And also shock. I mean, it must be a shock. You get the exchange, you cannot run, Obi-Wan. What have you become? I am what you made me. Which feeds into the guilt about, well, failing Anakin. And that was in the prequel. He said, I failed you. So their battle ensues. It's largely Obi-Wan running away instead of fighting. Leia and Tala are running down the tunnel and Leia sends Tala back to help Obi-Wan. The other interesting thing that happened towards the end was Reva found the safe house and she was looking along all the walls and recognised something there. So I wondered whether it was a family member of hers, but somebody who's come through that safe house wrote something on the wall, and Reva recognised it. Well, it might be Quinlan again. Could be. But I think that's going to be an interesting twist in Reva's story, and we, you know, we're definitely going to get more of her in the next three episodes, I'm sure. Don't the Inquisitors have Jedi powers? Are there either Jedis that have turned to the dark side? And they yeah. seem to have, I didn't realise this, they seem to have different powers and skills. <laughs> so I think that Reva's is much more on the mind-reading side of things whereas perhaps some of the others don't have that ability um, or haven't got it as strongly. There's a lovely moment of Vader dragging Obi-Wan through the fire, wants him to burn and feel the same pain that he felt, which I just thought was, yeah, this was what he was after. He wasn't wasn't about killing Obi-Wan. It was about making him to suffer as he had done. It's all about torture. (laughs) I I can't say I enjoyed it, but I did enjoy it as a viewer. I just thought that was really clever. Let's remember there's loads of these characters that we know survive. So there's got to be ways of dealing dramatically with their encounters that aren't going to end up with anyone dying. Yeah, and I think we have to see, don't we, that because by the time we get to A New Hope, 
Obi-Wan doesn't really believe that Anakin can be saved anymore. So I think that this is taking us down that road, isn't it? Also, in A New Hope, he's prepared to sacrifice himself, and he does. So there has to obviously be a mind state and an understanding of what needs to happen. And I wonder whether Obi-Wan thinks, actually, Anakin can still save the Jedi. Yeah. I I wonder whether he comes to that realisation and we need to be taken through that mental journey, um, which maybe will happen over this particular series. He pretty much stands there and lets Vader kill him in A New Hope. Yeah, and he tells Luke that Anakin's dead, doesn't he? Your father died. And I wonder whether that's what he has to tell himself towards the end of this in order to kind of cope with, hey, that guilt that he feels. You know, ultimately he's played a part in unleashing Darth Vader on the universe. I'm definitely loving the psychology of what they're doing. Yeah. Seems like they're kind of exploring the psychology of Obi-Wan. And they also seem to be looking into what made Leia into who she became. And like I say, there's other characters. I really hope that they explore the relationship Obi-Wan and Darth Maul had in the Clone Wars and the Rebels. But we'll see what they do with that. I want to give a shout out to Natalie Holt, who has been doing the score for this. Because although they have credited John Williams with the Obi-Wan theme, but Natalie Holt has been doing the score and I've absolutely loved the score. It's made me feel like I'm watching a Star Wars film or series, whatever, but I think you've done amazingly. The music is just beautiful, I think, all the way throughout this. If you're interested in finding out more about Quinlan Voss and their Clone Wars, there's a, a podcast called Bounty Buddies, and one of the hosts of that has put something up. You can go to clonewars.watch and get a reduced watch order for the Clone Wars series, because there are a lot of episodes in there. And if you want to miss out a lot of the Jar Jar Binks stuff and just get the really key episodes, then you can go there and find out about which episodes are the best ones to watch. Um, and the other thing that I learned, um, I'm watching Stranger Things at the moment, and there's an episode where uh, Robert England, who was the Freddy Krueger actor, appears. And I did a bit of a research on Robert England for that episode that I'm doing with Grace about Stranger Things. And it turns out that he auditioned for both Mark... Ha- for He auditioned for Mark Hamill. He auditioned for Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and didn't get the roles. But he recommended Mark Hamill. Wow. Do you think he feels bitter about that? No, I'm clearly not. I think if he, he wasn't right for the role, he wasn't right for the role. And so I hadn't known that bit of Star Wars whether it's uh, legend or lore or fact. Well, Al Pacino said that his biggest regret is turning down Star Wars. I assume for Han Solo, I don't think he'd have been a Luke. Good stuff. Great. Well, thanks for this, Neil. Enjoyed this a lot. And we'll be back next week with Obi-Wan. Okay, well, now we're going to move on to what else we've been watching. And we've been joined by our good friend, Damien Cooper. Hello, Damo. I can't quit you. (laughs) May the force be with you, Damien. May the force be with you. Make it so. (laughs) How are we doing, lads? Very good, thank you. Enjoying Obi-Wan immensely. Do you want to kick us off with what you've been watching then? Yeah, so uh, I started re-watching Breaking Bad 
to scratch my soul-shaped itch in this mid-season break. I've only watched the first three episodes and it's really interesting. I didn't realise that Crazy A, a.k.a. Ocho Loco, was so in- integral to those opening two episodes, uh, which was really nice. And it's crazy. I mean, it, it seems like Aaron Paul was so baby-faced at the beginning of Breaking Bad. Uh, he looks like he's about 15 years old. He doesn't look like he graduated high school a few years ago. It's a slow process. There's a lot to watch. I think I might go beyond us seeing Saul again. Uh, was it episode seven of season two? The eponymous Better Call Saul. I might go beyond. We'll see how that goes. But I also have fallen down another Better Call Saul rabbit hole since we us three have met. And it meant that I went and rewatched that opening scene of season six where we see through Saul's palace. And I don't know how I missed this the first time around, but obviously I wasn't to know that this was important. Two of the exciting things that stuck out most to me were the painting in which all the post-it notes were hid behind was seen carried down the winding staircase. And also the little black book. A couple of pages were thumbed through and it was chucked in a box that seemed to be just rubbish. So they didn't realise what they had. And that then sent me down a further rabbit hole, which was some people think that they've managed to break the code online within the black book. So I'll find the, the video link on YouTube to share and also the Reddit account of the person who went to the effort of breaking it down so we do see in that opening scene a couple of pages at the beginning of the book which are different to the pages we see when Kim and Jimmy flip through it in the vet's office so it's very exciting and lots of fake numbers as you can imagine in American shows 505 blah 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 to stop people actually ringing those numbers I recommend Better Call Saul fans to regularly re-watch that opening montage as more and more Easter eggs make themselves known to you. I'm going to be re-watching that as soon as we finish recording. It's so awesome. There's just so many. And I think I've missed some that I already know. Uh, and maybe some of those will become apparent from watching, re-watching Breaking Bad. Yeah, I'm sure. I scratched my sore itch by listening to the Insider Podcast bonus episode with their American Greed episode that had kind of had a crossover with American Greed, which is an American show about people getting away with um, scamming and conning and, and making money. Um, and it was great. Really, really brilliant. And then I, I will pop that video in the uh, podcast description as well. I'll pop a link to that in there as well. Thanks for sharing it with us on the WhatsApp group, Adam. I thought the performances from the Kettleman's was oh. amazing. So good. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I have also been watching a Netflix original called The Pentaveret, which is a Mike Myers vehicle in which Mike Myers plays just about every character. And sadly, I feel that comedy has moved on since the time of Austin Powers. 
And I don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Wayne's World, So I Married an Axe Murderer and Austin Powers fan. I absolutely love those films. But anything post that, the guru, all that, it's just not good enough, I'm afraid, Michael. Disappointed. Try harder. What's the show about? Good question. I watched it and I'm still not sure. No, it's about a benevolent secret society of five super human beings, hence the name the Pentavera. And they're all people from various levels of history. I think there's time travel. It's just, uh, it's dated is how I describe it. The comedy is dated. That, yeah, I just feel like that's something that might have worked in the 90s, early 2000s. But to remember, Austin Powers came out in 97. That's 25 years ago. And also, you know, there was the Eddie Murphy era where he would play lots of different characters, etc. And again, I, I think that has just passed. Hard agree. Absolutely. Um, and I also just quickly say I am still watching Tehran. Still amazing. Adam, are you keeping up to date with it? Yeah, I watched the most recent. Well, there's a new one out today but I watched the one before that uh, last night, enjoying it a lot. Some good twists and turns again. So good. Oh, my God, so good. And Glenn Close is still imperious in every scene she is in. And that has taken nothing away from the other actors who you might not recognise who are also exceptional. The other thing of note that I've been watching is Our Flag Means Death, which has been renewed for season two uh, a couple of days ago I think it was the official word out for those who don't know our flag means death is a comedy starring Reese Darby as Captain Stade Bonnet who is a buccaneer a privateer even on the high seas and he is maybe his idea of man management is a more modern approach to get the best out of a group of pirates than historically captains may have incentivized their workers. And it's good. Yeah. From what I've seen, I've enjoyed it. I like Reese Darby. Yeah, I like him so much. The only, or how I met your mother uh, was because he was in one episode as a receptionist in a hotel where the rest of the cast were doing lame things. And even then, I barely struggled to watch that episode of How I Met Your Mother. So apologies for those who love it. But I, I only was able to watch five minutes of it because of my love of Flight of the Concord superstar, Reese Darby. Cora Neal also is in that, and he's apparently brilliant. I follow him on Twitter. I haven't watched it yet. But I follow him because we used to say hello to each other at the gym. We both live close to each other. But I've never had a longer conversation than that. So I'm almost thinking about renewing my gym subscription <laughs> just to be able to bump into it. Well, I probably could on the street. But yeah, no, I've heard that's awesome. Is it like Pirates of the Caribbean? Is it darker than that? Is it less Disney-fied than that? How would you say I'd say it is a sitcom about pirates, is how I'd describe it. And Steve Bonnet is by no means an alpha male. He is a man who is very much in touch with his altruistic side, definitely stronger on soft skills than he is corporal punishment. 
I see uh, you and Bremner's also in this, who obviously we know from Train Spotting, which is a, a nice little link to a show that is uh, that we missed on our coming soon, but is out now on Disney Plus, which is Danny Boyle's Pistol, which is the story of the Sex Pistols. Have either of you managed to catch any of this yet? No, not yet. Does look pretty good. So if you're interested in that sort of punk era, and I think a lot of the people, famous people who are around during that time are featuring the show. Stars uh, Maisie Williams and Thomas Brody Sangster are a couple of the names that um, you may well have heard of. But I'm going to try and give that a watch at some point, I think. Based on the memoir by Steve Jones from The Sex Pistols, Lonely Boy, Tales from a Sex Pistol. Sounds good. What else have you been watching? A lot of my watching, Neil, has been Stranger Things. Season four of Stranger Things came out. We've got seven episodes, seven of nine, seven out of nine. The next two are going to drop next month. And they're all like around about an hour or more, these episodes. They're kind of feature length episodes. So I have been immersing myself in Stranger Things, which has been brilliant. And I am recording a separate series of podcast episodes with our good friend Grace and maybe one or two special guests. Really, really loving that. I have managed to finish a couple of things. So finished Welcome to Eden. This was the Spanish show that I was watching on Netflix about a group of young people going to an island party. They were invited there to promote a drink, but it turns out that some of them get stuck there and end up involved in a whole load of intrigue and different things. It's a bit culty. I described it as Squid Game meets the beach, and I stand by that. But the truth behind the Eden Foundation may still be out there somewhere. There was a couple of twists at the end. There was one that I was expecting, but was still heartbreaking when it landed. And there were two or three others that I didn't see coming and literally throw everything about the series into question. There's so much stuff that's unanswered in this that there has to be a second season, surely. Overall, despite some plot moments that stretch credulity a little bit, I think it's a binge-worthy show, a great young Spanish cast, and enough intrigue to keep me interested until the end. Is it English speaking or is it subtitles? It's subtitles. I mean, I speak a little bit Spanish, un poquito. That sounds interesting. Would you say it was a case of Juego de Calamares? (laughs) Which is Spanish for Squid Games, for those who don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Or don't have a Google Translate nearby, <laughs> which someone might have used to make sure. <laughs> this is a good opportunity to link to another piece of news about the Squid Game. Have you heard that the Squid Game creator is working on a satirical comedy based on the inception and success of Squid Game? The provisional title for this is The Best Show on the Planet but it's based on his personal experiences of being catapulted to global stardom. I love it. Another layer. Bring on the onion. I love it. Wow. That has surprised me. So what, is that serious? Apparently that's what he's working on. It will be interesting to see kind of how that has exploded, but it's intended to be a a comedy documentary. Like a biopic. Yeah, yeah. A satirical comedy, he's it's calling it. I mean, did you see them at the BAFTAs? There were sort of some of the Squid Game guards <laughs> in the audience at the BAFTAs, which I thought was quite fun. The other show that I finished, finally, I finished my Top Boy watch. So I've got through now season four of Top Boy, or season two if you were on Netflix. I really enjoyed this. There's something, I don't know, I can't quite put my finger on it, something slightly unsatisfying about it. And I, I wonder whether that's Duchesne and his perhaps lack of development as a character, maybe. But every time Sully is on, I'm glued to the screen and I'm a big fan of Jack as well. She's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think Kano is just something else in this who plays Sully. 
I know what you mean. I don't want to give any spoilers. I think what happens at the very end of this series, I'm not sure it was earned enough. I think that might be part of the disappointment, is my opinion. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's Duchesne doesn't go on enough of a journey, considering how much, basically, the, the parallel of Duchesne's and Sully's stories. And considering Duchesne is technically the, the eponymous top boy, it wasn't enough of him going straight or enough of him trying to wrestle control from Michael. But the next series is the final series. Yeah, I did think towards the end of that final episode that everything was ending quite well for a lot of people. And I thought, well, this is all a bit of a sickly sweet finish to the series. And then, of course, the final twist happens. You're like, oh, but yeah. So, I mean, I would I would still recommend Top Boy. I think it is a cracking show, a very valuable watch. And I'm, I'm really pleased that I went through that journey. So I understand you've been watching some other boys, Adam. Some, some other boys? You love the boys. So today, this morning, uh, the boys, first three episodes of the boys season three landed. And I have watched the first episode I messaged you guys after I'd watched the first five minutes and oh my, <laughs> just, yeah. I think I said, I can't remember whether I said it on WhatsApp or, or on the podcast, but apparently this scene traumatised the crew. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and I can kind of see why. I, I won't go into anything about the boys because I know Neil, you're going to watch it and we'll probably talk about it when we next record Obi-Wan. Great first episode of season three, uh, lots of exciting things being set up and just really Really, really brilliant to be back in with this world of characters. Yeah, I'm stuck whether I'm going to watch the first um, Better Call Saul or whether I'm going to watch the boy. I don't know what I'm going to watch. Um, I'm, I'm spoiled for Joyce as soon as we finish recording. And of course, a bit of, you know, Gustavo Frings in there as well, which is always, always good. I think that's mostly what I've been watching. I've been keeping up with Shining Girls and The Essex Serpent, and I'm near, nearly at the end of the first season of Only Murders in the Building, enjoying all of that stuff still. I have stopped watching The Time Traveller's Wife, because apparently I've heard that they don't finish the book in the first season, but the story isn't finished in that first series. So I'm going to wait and see whether they get a second season renewed for it. The Time Traveller's Wife was on in the living room whilst I was there, and I caught one or two of those scenes that you mentioned, Adam, where he's talking to his future wife as a girl. So when she is a girl and the kind of skipping around the information where he could just kind of explicitly say, I'm from the future and we get married. It really sat uneasily with me. That was a definite cut off for me. I can't go back to it because that was just weird. So I assume that was for you, Damo, either the acting or the script. Because obviously the book's really popular. I haven't read it and I haven't watched the show. But what, was it the acting or the script that turned you off? I guess both. But I think the the concept of someone going back in time and talking to their wife as a child, eight-year-old child, and then at 12 and then at 15, there's different stages of puberty and all that. It all just seemed, I don't know, maybe I'm just being overly sensitive, but it felt weird. Grace is the only one of us who read the book, and I think she said that that is in the book and it is, is the sort of slightly uncomfortable part of it. I think they handled it, yeah, about as well as they could, it's, but it is, it's problematic, definitely. Fair enough. Well, I'm listeners, not... if you have an opinion, if you've read the book and watched the show, then please do give us your thoughts 
that would be really interesting because um, I haven't read or watched either of them yet, and I've yet to make up my mind. Neil, can you can you let our listeners know how they can get in contact with us? Google TV DNA and use your intelligence. You'll find us. We're also at TV DNA Pod on all the socials, so you know there's that there's that route too. I, I've got a bit of news for you, Neil, that you might find interesting. Heartstopper. I know you've mm. highly, highly recommended, has been renewed now for two more seasons. Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't know that. And I'm immediately feeling, how are they going to continue that story? There's obvious directions. No, that's brilliant. No, I'll be really interested. And um, hopefully they'll do a good job. Season two is expected next year. So I've added that to the list of shows we're looking forward to next year that we'll, we'll probably talk about at the end of this year. There's a few other shows that are either out now or coming soon. Borgen season four, we've talked about before. That, that was out to, uh, yesterday on Netflix. Um, I'm going to be trying to pick that one up. And The Midwich Cuckoos. This is the Keely Hawes, Max Beasley sci-fi show about a, a mysterious incident which leaves a number, a number of women in the town pregnant that's also out today that's on sky and now tv and then there's the stephen merchant crime comedy drama did either of you catch the outlaws last year yeah i watched an episode or two it wasn't quite for me i had a good friend of mine had a cameo in it and she was fantastic in it shout out to helen belbin i couldn't quite get into the show i'm afraid well, season two lands on Sunday on BBC One and the BBC iPlayer, and that stars uh, Stephen Merchant and Christopher Walken. So if you are fans of either of those actors, it might be worth giving that a go. You've been watching We Own This City using your super VPN powers demo. It's out for the rest of us on the 7th of June, which is next Tuesday, I believe. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, big recommend. I've still got the last two episodes to see, but yeah. Big recommend. And I would say for those maybe who haven't seen The Wire yet, give that a go. And if you like it, you'll enjoy The Wire because it's significantly better. But We Own the City is still good TV. And then the final one that's coming soon, which is next Wednesday, I think, is Miss Marvel, which is the latest MCU TV show. This features a 16-year-old Pakistani-American high school student from Jersey City who's an aspiring artist, avid gamer, and writes superhero fan fiction about heroes such as Captain Marvel. Uh, for a second, I thought you said Miss Marple. And I thought that, that's quite the crossover no one saw coming. <laughs> Can you imagine if Miss Marple got the ability to harness cosmic energy and create constructs from a magical bangle? I mean, she's an avid gamer, so it would make sense. <laughs> I really want to see that show now. <laughs> Staying on the Marvel news front, Daredevil, which was previously a Netflix Marvel show, is getting a new Disney Plus season. That's been announced as coming next year, I believe. And Twisted Metal, which is based on a PlayStation game. I don't know whether you've ever played this one, Demo. That's got a, uh, a show coming out in 2023. It's going to star Anthony Mackie, who was the Falcon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Neve Campbell, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Thomas Hayden Church from the Spider-Man movies. It's going to revolve around a motor-mouthed outsider offered a chance at a better life, but only if he can successfully deliver a mysterious package across a post-apocalyptic wasteland. So there we go. That's Twisted Metal. It was a, a vehicle-based combat game. Is that right? Yeah, lots of smashing up cars and stuff. We're seeing a real kind of shift 
towards, I guess, streamers desperately needing established IP for series. But uh, On the Horizon is also The Last of Us TV series with Pedro Pascal. That should be out fairly soon. Horizon Zero Dawn Lovers, I believe there is a TV series with Aloy, certainly in the pre-production stages. And Halo, of course, coming with Paramount Paramount Plus when that lands on our shores. From what I've heard and the clips I've seen, the Halo TV series is not good, not even for the strongest fan of the Master Chief, I think, for those who play Halo will know what I mean. I Yeah, from what I saw, it, it didn't look great. But, you know, what can you do? It's very hard shifting IP from one medium to another. Not, it's not always going to work. So is Paramount Plus yet another, another streaming channel? Yep. What is going on? So my final bit of news is that the Willow trailer dropped. This is coming out on the 30th of November on Disney Plus, and it's a TV series based on Willow, the movie that came out way back sometime in the 80s. But Warwick Davis returns as the eponymous uh, hero of the show. It looks a lot, a lot older, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's definitely older. And I think reference is made to that. It's quite a young cast. Looks like it'll be good fun. Were you Willow fans back in the day? Yeah, I loved it. I, I really loved Willow. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I loved all those kind of things. Black Cauldron, obviously Star Wars, but no, Willow was just that fantasy adventure. And what was the one Tom Cruise was in? Was it Legend? Don't know. Nobody knows. But there was there was, there was a show with Tom Cruise in it when his very early days that was very fantasy. I've always loved fantasy. Yeah, uh, it was a bit before my time, I'm afraid. For us millennials, it, we were too young. I know I know for you boomers, sorry, uh, Gen Xers, it was probably quite a big thing. But I know of it. I know of its cultural cachet and how loved it is and obviously how fantastic Warwick is in general. You probably missed out on Krull and the secrets of Nim as well. But <laughs> I did a quick Google, Neil. It didn't hurt too much, but uh, you were right. It was legend. Tom Cruise was in it. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I love Krull as well. Do you know what? Part of me, if I was a bit more paranoid, thought you were winding me up. Krull and the what? Krull is one movie which is just incredible. If you've never seen Krull, I'm going to strap you to a chair and make you watch it. But The Secrets of Nim was more of an animated show that I read originally as a book, but it also involves a lot of mice. Very, very good. Okay, well, I'll have to, I'll have to look, at, look this up later to make sure listeners that they're not making a fool of me. <laughs> Did you ever go to a video store, Damo? Do you remember those? You, what, what are videos? Do you remember uh, VHS? Straight, DVDs. VHS didn't exist when I was alive. What are you talking about? Now, of course, I was... Betamax was... I was very young. I've got a vague memory of Betamax. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, obviously, um, um, yeah, VHS, DVD, all this newfangled, non-physical stuff is still spinning my wheels a little bit. I remember going to a video store and having to look in the VHS section because my dad had bought a VHS rather than a Betamax, which was probably a good decision at the time. Sorry, without wanting to derail this further, do you know why VHS won over Betamax? Why did VHS beat over Betamax? Well, because of porn. This is it. 
because porn was shot on VHS. That has been the deciding factor for video content, whatever, you know, physical video playing is whatever porn's been shot on, that's won the war. Same with DVD over whatever DVD was against. Well, we saw bits of that when we were watching Tommy and Pam, weren't we? Absolutely. Or Pam and Tommy. <laughs> or Tommy and Pam. Yeah. Depends on the position. Right. Uh... <laughs> I think that's me done for news, chaps. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Um, I just wanted to ask you what you're doing for the Jubilee weekend. I'm mostly working for it. Although on Sunday, I'm going to my mum's for lunch. Thanks for cooking, mum. I did go to a pub quiz this week where one of the, one of the rounds was on the Queen and learnt that Buckingham Palace has 52 bedrooms. Oh, really? Do you know something I, I, I learned is that the Queen apparently has met more people than anyone else in the world. That's quite an achievement. And yet she hasn't met me. <laughs> I, she's met me. I have no, no significant plans bar one. I am by no means interested in the royal family. Hats off uh, to those who are. I just don't care. I'm self-employed, so bank holidays mean nothing to me. So I can't be bought over with the bread and circuses of that. But one thing I am doing this glorious, glorious long weekend is I'm going to a script reading of a fantastic play that I'm in, co-starring none other than Adam Hemming himself. Yes, indeed. We're doing a reading of David's play, which we'll be performing in at the end of July. And we did a special TV DNA sponsored fundraising quiz night for that last weekend. Neil provided some brilliant questions for it. Damien was unfortunately away, uh, but Grace attended and won the, the Tele Addicts round. They did a round on different quiz shows. There's a pointless round. He wants to be a millionaire, the weakest link, and Tele Addicts. And, and Grace even answered a Star Wars question correctly. Well done, Grace. Now you need to start watching Obi-Wan. Well, now that we have something that Grace needs to do, there's something for our listeners to do. First off, I know we briefly talked about the socials. Of course, please do let us know. And thanks again for those who have given five-star reviews, but for also for those who feel so generous. Maybe you've enjoyed listening to our episodes of TV DNA and you want to find a way that you can financially support us. The play that Adam and I are in, David's play, has currently put out some crowdfunding. We will put the link in the notes and you too can donate towards a fantastic piece of theatre telling the story of... I mean, how would you describe David, Adam? No swearing. Uh, David is a, a, a local resident to the theatre that I work at. He has cerebral palsy and he's, he's kind of a mainstay and uh, he's been involved in so much stuff that we've done at the theatre over the years. He's got a really wicked sense of humour, so this is going to be... It's being written up as a backstage comedy... And it should be a very, very funny show. So, yeah, but also really important in terms of showing uh, his difficulties in, in his communication and the way that he lives his life. So eye-opening and uh, humorous at the same time. How do you describe his disabilities? So cerebral palsy means that he's, uh, he's, he's wheelchair-bound. Uh, the main thing with cerebral palsy is that the brain doesn't connect with the body. So although his brain works fine and his body works fine, his brain can't tell his body what to do, which means that he has mobility issues 
and he has communication issues because he, his speech is affected and he has quite sort of serious speech issues with that. I've known him for many, many, many years, so I've become accustomed to how he speaks um, and can understand him reasonably well. We've created one show with him before, and so this is the second one that we're doing. But yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a force of nature. No, he's an amazing individual. And that play is going to run in the last week of July. So for those who can make it down to East London in the Docklands, you'll be able to see it. But I'm assuming for our international listeners who want to see Adam in a fantastic, some will say commanding lead role, and me as a stereotypical Egypt, you will also probably be able to see it streamed online. That's correct. We're live streaming two of the shows. Um, and we'll put a link to the Spaces website and the um, the stuff in the podcast description of this as well. Right, chaps, 39 days left till Better Call Saul returns. I'm counting I'm so down. I did but... a little Wallace. <laughs> if, None if of you know the listeners can see that. For those who know Wallace and Gromit, when Wallace gets excited, he does a wide grin and he does a, a kind of double-handed motion that maybe could have been the sort of scene that would help VHS win over Betamax. But yeah, that's basically what I did. Well, it's been uh, been great to have you back after that short break, Amo. Um, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yep. And Neil and I will return with more Obi-Wan Kenobi next week. Um, but for now, may the force be with you. Make it so. You're a wizard, Harry. I don't know which one works. <laughs> Bye. Hello and welcome to TV DNA. Oh, <laughs> not me. Why are you telling your? Oh, yeah. Hang on. <laughs> okay, put do not disturb on. It's my in-laws calling. Uh, voiced by Zach Braff of um, of that show that he's Scrubs. Scrubs. <laughs> voiced by voiced by Zach Braff of Scrubs fame. <laughs>